Here we are at the end of Judges. We made it. And today we're going to try and get through three chapters because they really are all related. And I would hate to stop and start again next week with just kind of like, you know, in the middle. You know, like your favorite Netflix show that you binged seven episodes, but the eighth didn't come out until next week. You know, that sucks, right? You don't want to do that. So today we're going to try and make it. And so I do actually kind of want to start right away by reading the word. What I'm going to do really quickly here is kind of do a quick recap. I want you all to tell me you've been here. I think pretty much everyone I'm seeing here has been here for at least one previous uh, uh, class. And so I want to ask you guys, tell me who wrote Judges? Who wrote it? Just in general. You don't have to give me their name. You know, Bob Israelite. I'm not looking for that. I'm looking for, in general, who, who was the kind of person who wrote Judges? Activist. Ah, activist. What do you mean by that? Like, had an agenda. Okay, very good. Have you ever read a book, letter, proverb, or song, or psalm from the Bible that you felt the person writing it was not an activist? with an agenda. This is a good one. <coughs> no, I think one of the points of writing is that you always have a purpose in what you're writing. <coughs> and I would, of course, since I'm the teacher, I agree with you. Uh, <laughs> uh, and and I'm, not, I'm not calling you out. Please don't see it that way, Ken. I agree 100% with you. I think there is a purpose behind, behind judges, um, behind anything written in the Bible. A person who sits down to write doesn't write because they have two hours to fill <laughs> in their afternoon, right? Um, something has motivated that person to write about <clears throat> something about either Israel's history or about God or about their participation in it. And in this case, we think we could probably have a pretty clear idea of what this person's purpose was. Judge not. Why was it written? He wanted people to know judge not. Okay, say that again. He wanted people to know to judge not. Okay, explain that, because I think I know what you mean. I'm just making a pun. But, yeah. um, he, because it was likely written during the monarchy, he wanted to show why it's more chaotic yeah. to not have a king. Show chaos without a king. <clears throat> few weeks ago yeah. I kind of pointed out that there was they mentioned you know this one judged for this long and had this many sons and then this one judged and this one I'm guessing that those were probably pretty good judges okay because they didn't have any issues <coughs> that fit the agenda <coughs> at the time I was, I was like why why do they just gloss over these three okay. guys you know uh-huh both Okay, good, bad judges. I think that's fair. Okay, so we don't, we don't hear a lot about uh, President Ford ever. Nobody okay. ever mentions President yeah. Ford, uh -huh. right? You always hear about Carter and Reagan yep. and Nixon and LBJ, Kennedy and blah blah blah. Nobody ever says anything about uh -huh. Ford. Uh -huh. Why? Uh -huh. He didn't do anything. Okay. Okay. Have any issues? There's no wars going on. Okay. Yeah, my favorite Miller Fillmore. I just threw that out. I'm like, what what president have, have we never talked about before? <laughs> right. Seriously. Um, and so then the question is, okay, so if it was written to show chaos without a king, so then what is the answer? For the author of Judges, what is the answer? And this is kind of an obvious one. We 
need a king. We need a king. <clears throat> we need a king. Now, that begs the question, who was it written to? Who needs a king? Now, I am, yeah, that's what I was getting at. That's what I was getting at. The author of Judges is writing to a very specific audience. Okay? And, okay. The human author is saying, Israel needs a king. Who wrote the book of Judges? See, this is it. It's twofold. You have a human author. All of the books of the Bible have human authors with God as the source. If you are an evangelical Christian, which we are, we believe the Bible is the inspired word of God, that the Bible comes from God, and humans are just the conduit through which that Bible is written, and thus <clears throat> contains all of the human, maybe, in a way, imperfections, um, flavor, color, right? Input, because humans wrote it. But at its source, God is the source of this material. And so I'll ask this question. The human author is saying, Israel needs a king. What is God making the point? What, we, what do you think God's purpose is here? He's like, I'm your king. Yes. I'm your king. God should be your king. Here you have the, the ultimate tension by which judges and then later the united monarchy will prove. God is proving something to his people and he is being very patient about it. <clears throat> During the period of the judges, we have chaos. During the period of the united monarchy, so this is really just a very short period here, Saul, David, and who else? <clears throat> Three kings will lead all 12 tribes of Israel. Okay, here is, <laughs> here's Canaan, which is the modern day country of Israel. All 12 tribes are here, Dead Sea, Sea of Chinneroth, or Sea of Galilee, <clears throat> Danon in, in the north, Beersheba in the south, which I didn't draw. This is Israel, this is the promised land. Only three kings will rule over that entire territory. Right after Solomon, the kingdom splits and for <clears throat> almost 500 years, <clears throat> We have a divided kingdom. <clears throat> God, is, God is making the point. The, the, human, the human author is right in saying, Israel, you need, a, you need centralized leadership to be able to rein in all of the problems that you're having. But God makes the point that you already had a king. Look, I'm just skipping to the end. We don't have to read it, right? We're done. You already have a king. I'm your king. God Almighty. Trust in me. <clears throat> If you're a Christian today, who is your king? Who? Yeah, and, and it's both are right. God is, God is your king. Jesus is your earthly king, right? He came, he was anointed as the king by the people, by, by some of the people of Israel and by many Gentiles. He is our king and he will return one day physically in power to rule. And he, he is our earthly king. Um, the, what God is trying to show here is that, yes, okay, fine, I will give you an earthly king, but guess what? A human king. How is that going to work out for you? It would be more good for me. told them what all they do there. Uh -huh. Their guys would be slaves for the king, and then their women were, would be bakers and, and mm -hmm. so on for him. 
in seven. Yep. A lot of their harvest. In 722, the northern kingdom will fall to Assyria, and that king will fall. There will never be another king of the northern kingdom. In 586, Judah will fall to the Babylonian Empire. That is the last day in history that Israel had a, an earthly human king over the people of Israel proper, not a Caesar, not a despot. I mean an anointed, <clears throat> um, deliberate ruler of just the people of Israel, an Israelite king. How long has it been since 586 BC? <laughs> long time. Like 2,500 years yeah. almost. <laughs> Long time. 2606. Yeah. What's that? 2,606 years. You're like a mathlete. I'm amazed. You can't do that. Yeah. I think God is trying to make the point here twofold. I think you're all right here. And so let's let's read. And I, I kind of set this all up because I think it's important. The final three chapters of Judges are a doozy. Uh, They're a doozy on the human scale, and we're going to see some real problems here in which the author of Judges, again, is trying to make the point that what? Um, we need a king. There's a second reason, and we, we talked about it last week. There's no unity between any of the tribes. Okay. There's, there's, there's I'm going to say disunity up here. <clears throat> a lack of a king is your first problem. Second problem is what is creeping into Israel at this point that's related to the disunity from a, from a spiritual, godly perspective. Re- say it again. Idolatry. Idolatry. King. Eliminate idolatry. I'll say even apostasy, meaning the, the author of Judges is saying things are going so askew right now. People are worshiping house idols. They are taking the word of God in the law, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy, the law the Torah, and they're perverting those rules. There is more than one priest in Israel, high priest. The priests are doing things that God has said very specifically do not do, okay? And we'll read about that today. Um, Don't worship any other gods. This is simple stuff. The people are going astray, and it's going to lead to a lot of problems later on. Let's read the word today. Judges 19, and this is 19, 1 through... 30, through the end. Who would like to read that for me? Now it came about in those days, when there was no king in Israel, that there was a certain Levite staying in a remote part of the hill country of Ephraim, who took a concubine for himself from Bethlehem to Judah. But his concubine played the harlot against him, and she went away from him to her father's house in Bethlehem in Judah, and was there for a period of four months. Then her husband arose and went after her to speak tenderly to her in order to bring her back, taking with him his servant and a pair of donkeys. So she brought him into her father's house, and when the girl's father saw him, he was glad to meet him. His father-in-law, the girl's father, detained him, and he remained with them three days. So they ate and drank and lodged there. Now on the fourth day, they got up early in the morning, and he prepared to go, and the girl's father said to his son-in-law, Sustain yourself with a piece of bread, and afterward you may go. So before, so both of them sat down and ate and drank together. And the girl's father said to the man, Please be willing to spend the night and let your heart be merry. <clears throat> then the man arose to go, but his father-in-law urged him so that he spent the night there again. 
On the fifth day, he arose to go early in the morning, and the girl's father said, Please sustain yourself and wait until afternoon. So both of them ate. When the man arose to go along with his concubine and servant, his father-in-law, the girl's father, said to him, Behold, now the day has drawn to a close. Please spend the night. Lo, the day is coming to an end. Spend the night here that your heart may be merry. Then tomorrow you may arise early for your journey so that you may go home. But the man was not willing to spend the night, so he rose and departed and came to a place opposite Jebus, that is, Jerusalem. And there were with him a pair of saddled donkeys. His concubine also was with him. When they were near Jebus, <clears throat> the day was almost gone, and the servant said to his master, Please come and let us turn aside into the city of the Jebusites and spend the night in it. However, his master said to him, We will not turn aside into the city of foreigners who are not of the sons of Israel, but we will go on as far as Gibeah. He said to his servant, Come and let us approach one of these places, and we will spend the night in Gibeah or Ramah. <clears throat> so they passed along and went their way, and the sun set on them near Gibeah, which belongs to Benjamin. <clears throat> they turn aside there in order to enter and lodge in Gibeah. When they entered, they sat down in the open square of the city, for no one took them into his house to spend the night. Then, behold, an old man was coming out of the field from his work at evening. Now the man was from the hill country of Ephraim, and he was staying in Gibeah, but the men of the place were Benjamites. And he lifted up his eyes and saw the traveler in the open square of the city, and the old man said, Where are you going, and where do you come from? He said to him, We're passing from Bethlehem to Jude, in, in Judah to the remote part of the hill country of Ephraim, for I am from there. And I went to Bethlehem in Judah, but now I am now going to my house, and no man will take me into his house. Yet there is both straw and fodder for donkeys, and also bread and wine for me, your maidservant, and the young man who is with your servants. There is no lack of anything. The old man said, Peace to you. Only let me take care of all your needs. However, do not spend the night in an open square. So he took him into the house and gave the donkeys fodder, and they washed their feet and ate and drank. <clears throat> While they were celebrating, behold, the men of the city, certain worthless fellows, surrounded the house, pounding, on, pounding the door, and they spoke to the owner of the house, and they, the old man, saying, Bring out the man who came into your house, that we may have relations with him. <clears throat> then the man, the owner of the house, went out to them and said to them, <clears throat> No, my fellows, please do not act so wickedly, since this man does not come into my house. So since this man has come into my house, do not commit this act of folly. <clears throat> Here is my virgin daughter and his concubine. Please let me bring them out that you may ravish them and do to them whatever you wish. But do not commit such an act of folly against this man. But the men would not listen to him. So the man seized his concubine and brought her out to them. And they raped her and abused her all night until morning. <clears throat> and then let her go at the approach of dawn. As the day began to dawn, the woman came <clears throat> and fell down at the doorway of the man's house where her master was until full daylight. When her master arose in the morning and opened the doors of the house and went out to go on his way, then behold, his concubine was laying at the doorway of the house with her hands on the threshold. He said to her, Get up and let us go. But there was no answer. 
Then he placed her on the donkey, and the man arose and went to his home. When he entered his house, he took a knife and laid hold of his concubine and cut her in twelve pieces, limb by limb, and sent her throughout the territory of Israel. All who saw it said, Nothing like this has ever happened or been seen from the day when the sons of Israel came up from the land of Egypt to this day. Consider it, take counsel, and speak up. Reactions. I couldn't believe it was in the Bible. Say it again. In the Bible. What's that, hon? I couldn't believe that was in the Bible. You couldn't believe that was in the Bible. Okay. Shocking. <clears throat> Shocking. What? A lot of details there of nothing. Okay. It's just talking about where he went and where he was and why. He, I mean, there was never any explanation of why he stayed or why the, his father-in-law was delaying him. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I see. Yep. It just... Right. <clears throat> what does that suggest to you? That there was, I don't know, I want to say that Satan was involved mm-hmm. in all mm-hmm. of them. It's know. interesting that it's, mm-hmm. that they specifically call him out as a Levite because he yes. should have been a spiritual leader. Yes. And he behaved so <clears throat> disgustingly. It's hard to read. <laughs> yeah. The way he treats his wife, it's really gross. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's abhorrent. It's, it's outrageous. You're reading this. You're not even part of the 12 tribes. You're reading this, and what's your first reaction? Somebody needs to die. I'm going to burn it down. Someone needs to die. Um, what does this remind you of, this story? This should be a pretty clear rem- remembrance of something in Genesis. <laughs> I mean, it's it's right there, right? This is exactly what was going on in Sodom and Gomorrah. And what did God do in that case? Burned it down. Burned it down, dude. He burned it down. He killed him. And so what are the people now? The author of Judges is is showing you how bad things are, right? If you're reading this, if you're if you're hearing about this during the period, first thing you're going to want to do is, well, God burned Sodom and Gomorrah to the ground for this. We should do the same thing. But let's go let's let's talk about that. <clears throat> At least in this passage here, how much how much is God <clears throat> At least in this passage, what do you read God saying about all this? God is largely silent here, and, and silent in the sense from the author, we don't know what God is saying, but we don't have anything recorded about um, about God's outrage. I'm sure he's very outraged about this. Um, at least at this point, there's not a whole lot that we hear that God is saying to do, and he will say something in the next chapter. Um, but what we have here is a lot of human things going on. Um, did the Levite consult God about his wife? No. Did God? Did the Levite consult God about where to stay or spend the night when he left? And it's kind of the implication that if he would have stayed in a pagan city, this wouldn't have happened. Mm-hmm. But since he stayed in a mm-hmm. Israelite city, this is what happened. Passed by right, <clears throat> right. Um, can you clarify the difference between a concubine and a wife? Yeah. So <laughs> this gets at this this civil versus <clears throat> religious law. Um, Essentially, during the period, it was it was legal. It was cult. And when I say legal, don't get me wrong. 
There is no Supreme Court in in 1200 BC. There is no there is no Magna Carta. There is no Constitution. There is no um, you know habeas corpus or writ of seizure and this and that. Right there, there is essentially the law of the land is what the people say it is, and to a large extent, what the rulers of the land, the, the rich wealthy um, tribal leaders say it is. Whatever the tribal leaders say is kind of what goes. That's the law. Okay, the law of the period was you know Canaanite culture was such that having more than one wife was acceptable. How many of the patriarchs had more than one wife? Or concubines? Well, yeah, it was, <clears throat> it was common. Now, if you read the law, the Torah, God is very specific about this. He doesn't want you to have more than one wife. He's very clear. A wife was a more of a legally binding relationship between a man and a woman, typically one man and one woman. But it was socially acceptable at the time that if you wanted to take additional women, typically slaves, as your, your bedchamber you know, uh, companion, keep your bed warm at night, people looked the other way and, and it was accepted. Now, if you were to die, <clears throat> typically your inheritance would pass through your legal wife, right, and her sons, and, and all the sons, typically, children of your legal wife would be the inheritors of your estate. Essentially, the concubine had no rights. Now, in some cases where the wife had perished and maybe she had not had sons, and we've seen that from Genesis, um, sometimes the concubine would make an argument that, well, then I am kind of the de facto common law wife, but that was rare. A concubine is essentially a mistress, a slave mistress, okay? Civilly, it was accepted. At least it wasn't completely like um, um, dismissed if people had concubines a Levite of all people. So an Israelite religiously should not have concubines. That's the first thing. And a Levite above all else, a Levite is not even allowed to marry a harlot, even as his first wife. All right. Well, it's obvious here that this Levite has married a woman who has a sketchy history. Um, she has gone, you know, basically the marriage dissolves very quickly. She goes back home. She probably finds another man to marry. So this Levite should have, you know, this should not have been going on. The Levite is involved in something that he should not have been. On the top of that, he should definitely not have had a concubine, okay? And this gets at our difference between civil and godly laws, and I want to just make the point here today. How many laws do the United States of America condone that we shouldn't be following? How many times has the government said, you're okay to do X, Y, and Z, but God has said, no, you're not right in doing that, okay? Just because the state says it's okay to do something doesn't mean God's okay with it. Well, Paul said all things are lawful, but not everything is expedient. Yes, but you have to be careful. That is taking a bit of the scripture out of context. I'm going to warn you. Um, when he's talking about there was the food laws, okay? And what he was not saying was <laughs> it's okay to go murder, commit adultery, and worship other gods. He was not saying that. So we have to be very clear about that. Here... What is the result of, of, of these problems? We've seen here, we have chaos, we have <coughs> disunity, we have idolatry and apostasy. What has that now led to? Just doing whatever you feel like. <clears throat> it's led to everyone does whatever he or she wants, and now what is the result? What is, what is the physical result of that? You've got a dead girl on a doorstep. You have a dead, a, a poor innocent woman who really is caught in the middle here. 
Assuming she was, in fact, a slave, she had no say in any of this. Okay? And, and look, too, about the, the cowardice of this Levite. <coughs> what does he do? What does he do when um, the guest, in fact, the guest and the Levite both are in, are in cahoots here? They propose to send the guy's virgin daughter out. And they're kind of okay with that. Is, what, 12? Probably. Yes, not 25, right? This is, this is a preteen, young teen girl. And then they end up sending the concubine out. Now, what does this party of, of Israel, holy Israelites do during the night? Do they go out and try and find the concubine and get her back? Do they stay up all night thinking about how we're going to rescue her? Do they, they let her go in the first place? They go to sleep. They're good. I'm going to bed, dude. Yeah, lock the door. We're good. I'll see you guys in the morning. Let's have breakfast at like 8, you know? Thud. What was that? Open the door. How, how egregious is this? And it gets at this point. This idolatry, this apostasy, this I'm going to do whatever I want and forget what God wants has now led to a horrible, horrible act. What do horrible acts tend to result in? More horrible acts. More horrible acts. If I get to do whatever I want to do, I certainly can't judge you for wanting to do whatever you want to do. So these guys come to the door <coughs> at night. Who am I to say that's wrong? Moral relativism. Big fancy word. It means anyone can do whatever they please. I, who am I to judge anyone else? You can live your life any way you want. But what is the consequence of that? When I assume that morals are relative, that there is no absolute authority to the universe. There's a constant downward spiral. Constant downward spiral of society. It's obvious that, well, first of all, women have no value. Yeah. And yep. also that even the this, this stranger, he's brought this man and his concubine mm -hmm. into his house, and he's willing so that this man doesn't get raped He's willing to sacrifice his young daughter, his mm -hmm. own daughter. Mm -hmm. Like, I think that speaks to, yeah, when you, yep. Because I can't imagine, you know, being like, oh yeah, I'll, I'll sacrifice my daughter for some <laughs> dude I just found in the town square. Yep. I don't know, it just seems. Yep. That nobody else would accept. Yeah. Which yeah. the fact that he, hey. that no one would accept him is something we can glance over mm -hmm. looking at it through a Western, like our Western cultural perspective, because it would have been common to bring someone in yes. and offer hospitality. And the fact that he was left, and the only person who invites him in is another man of Ephraim. This is an excellent point, Nathan. Well taken. Even today in Middle East, Near Eastern cultures, it is, it is unthinkable to not welcome a, a traveler or a stranger into your home. That is just common courtesy. Um, there's not a lot of best westerns in the Middle East. And, and, and the answer is not because there's ISIS. The answer is because people who travel, move around, tend to just stay with relatives, with friends, with people from the community. That's the way it works. And, and you make a great point. In that culture, to be rejected, that says a lot about that culture. Something terrible was going on there. They were like, we're, we're going to leave him in the town square so that when it gets dark, then we can go do what we feel like. That's it. Now Either that or the other people were concerned about them coming to their door and causing problems. Ah, that's they were a shutting them out to avoid the issue. 
And so what evidence do we feel like we have to support that? And I agree with you. Look at what this, this, uh, this stranger here who takes him in does. He immediately says, let's throw, let's throw the girls out, right? Because he's afraid, I agree with you. He's afraid of what that mob is gonna do. So I think that is, that is true. I'm afraid of what the public will think of me. Oh, goodness gracious. Or do to me. Why, why are you even there in the first place? <clears throat> even in verse 20 where he says, you know, do not stay in square. Like, come stay with me, whatever else. Mm -hmm. Okay. Outrageous, right? What, what else do we take away from this? Well, like, he didn't... Not only did he like just go to bed and not wait up for her or anything, but she got there before it was daylight. Mm -hmm. She laid on the doorstep dying. Mm -hmm. No one was like looking out for her. And then it just says when he got up, he went to go on his way and there she was. Like he was like, oh, well, she, like he didn't even have any consideration yes. that she was even still alive yes. or that she would even come back to him. Yep. He was just like, oh, I'm just going to go home now. Like, he just walks out, stumble. What is that? Yeah. <laughs> she had no value whatsoever. Yep. But then. That's exactly it. He's like, oh, wait, I can get some value out of her by cutting her up and sending her to all the different tribes. Human life has little value. And I'm going to make the case, yes. I was going to make that case. It is, it is women. I will give you that. Um, especially women. Totally agree. But I'm going to make the case here that I think, and what you're about to read in the next two chapters, human life in general has very little value to these people. Um, think about the people of Gibeah. They, they see humans as, as so worthless that they're just going to go rape men, right? So, so men aren't necessarily off the hook either. Uh, the men are doing outrageous things. Um, and, and now it's going to erupt into warfare. It's going to erupt into the worst civil war that Israel's had so far. But I think this point is for the, the, the modern era too. When human life has so little value in all of its, in all of its manifestations, <laughs> This contributes to the downward spiral of our society. It doesn't matter. People who are Muslim, people who think differently than me, people who are dark-skinned, people who are light-skinned, women, babies, unborn, criminals, all you have to do is start thinking in your mind of all the different kinds of people that we have on this earth, and slowly but surely, you start to say, well, that group has less value than my group. That, that, that group has less value than my group. It's a slippery slope. It starts with saying, those people, again, I don't want to get political. I don't want to let them into my country. It starts with something as innocuous as that. And it ends with things like, depending on the kind of person you are, you should be murdered, or you should die, or you should be a refugee, and we're not going to help you. The same things are happening 2,500 years ago as are happening today. When human life loses its value, Everything falls apart. Everything. Kind of starts at the beginning here. It says that she went away to her father's house and was there for four months. Uh, and all of a sudden he's like, oh, shoot. Yeah. He goes to speak tenderly to her. Like, what do you get, horny or what? You know, I mean, honestly. Or embarrassed or. It yeah. seems like that's why the father in law kept keeping him there because he kind of wanted to, like, soften him up to be like, you really want to take my daughter and, like, Let's, <laughs> I don't know, maybe not, but. Maybe the dad had some like, worries. 
Mm-hmm. You know, what's he gonna do when it takes her out of here? Right. You just let her go for four months. Now he came after her. What's he? What's his motive? Here? Maybe the father-in-law knows the guy's heart because what does the guy do as soon as he gets to Gibeah? He's kind of you know part of this plan to just ditch women, right? Ditch the concubine. Um, he's okay with the daughter going if that's what happens. This guy must know his heart. He's like, dude, this isn't good. But then why does he come out with the joy to meet him when the mm-hmm. Levite first arrives at his house? Yeah, I mean, look, uh, <laughs> what would you what would you do if this guy shows up, right? Like. I think he's in a tough pickle here, right? Now, he could have killed him. He could have been like, you know, you kicked my daughter out. I don't like you. You're from a different tribe, right? We've seen a lot of warfare here, intertribal warfare. I, I, like, I, I do like what Laura's getting at here, which is I think he's trying to soothe something over. He's trying to make peace. He's trying to fix something, potentially. Um, now, why he keeps him, <laughs> I don't think he did the right job here, obviously. Um, but again, I think this gets Nathan at this, this thing about chaos. There's just utter chaos, right? This is not the way a man and a woman should be married. This is not healthy. Just two chapters ago, we were, we were talking about the guy that all of a sudden, Micah, all of a sudden now has his own Levite priest. Maybe that's there's some other reason. Mm-hmm. Like, mm-hmm. I can keep this Levite here, but I got my own. Oh, that's a good one. I like that one. <coughs> I got my own priest here. Yeah. <laughs> Seen as. Good luck charm. I don't know. Yeah, it no, is. I, now look at my holy household. Here. I like that. <clears throat> yeah. It kind of it kind of glosses. Hey over everyone, the, look at I got a Levite. Yeah. I mean, never mind that my daughter was a concubine and left her husband. Mm-hmm. Whatever. Yep. Exactly. And he's embarrassed now. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And we don't really read of the wife. I mean, from here on out, I think that's over. So. Obviously, it's not important. Okay, so let's let's go on and read Judges 20. And this is a doozy. I shouldn't say it because no one will read. This is an easy chapter. It's just 48 verses. So all the Israelites from Dan to Beersheba, including the land of Gilead, joined together before the Lord in the city of Mizpah. The leaders of all the tribes of Israel took their places in the meeting of the people of God. There were 400,000 soldiers with swords. The people of Benjamin heard that the Israelites had gone up to Mizpah. Then the Israelites said to the Levite, Tell us how this evil thing happened. So the husband of the murdered woman answered, My slave woman and I came to Gibeah in Benjamin to spend the night. During the night, the men of Gibeah came after me. They surrounded the house and wanted to kill me. They forced my slave woman to have sexual relations, and she died. I took her and cut her into parts and sent one part to each area of Israel, because the people of Benjamin did this wicked and terrible thing in Israel. Now all you Israelites, speak up. What is your decision? Then all the people stood up at the time saying, or at the same time saying, None of us will go home. Not one of us will go back to his house. Now this is what we will do to Gibeah. We will throw lots. That way we will choose ten men from every hundred men from all the tribes of Israel, and we will choose a hundred men from every thousand, and a thousand men from every ten thousand. These will find supplies for the army. Then the army will go to the city of Gibeah of Benjamin to repay them for the terrible thing that they have done in Israel. So all the men of Israel were united and gathered against the city. The tribes of Israel sent men throughout the tribe of Benjamin, demanding, What is this evil thing some of your men have done? Hand over the wicked men in Gibeah so that we can put them to death. We must remove this evil from Israel. But the Benjamites would not listen to their fellow, fellow Israelites. The Benjamites left their own cities and met at Gibeah to fight the Israelites. It is only one, in only one day, the Benjamites got 26,000 soldiers together who were trained with swords. They also had 700 chosen men from Gibeah. 
700 of these trained soldiers were left-handed, each of whom could sling a stone at a hair and not miss. The Israelites, except for the Benjamites, gathered 400,000 soldiers with swords. The Israelites went up to the city of Bethel and asked God, which tribe shall be the first to attack, attack the Benjamites? The Lord answered, Judah shall go first. The next morning, the Israelites got up and made a camp near Gibeah. The men of Israel went out to fight the Benjamites and took their battle position at Gibeah. Then the Benjamites came out of Gibeah and killed 22,000 Israelites during the battle that day. The Israelites went back before the Lord and cried until evening. They asked the Lord, shall we go fight our relatives, the Benjamites, again? The Lord answered, go up and fight them. The men of Israel encouraged each other, so they took the same battle positions they had taken the first day. The Israelites came out to fight the Benjamites the second day. The Benjamites came out of Gibeah to attack the Israelites. This time, the Benjamites killed 18,000 Israelites, all of whom carried swords. Then the Israelites went up to Bethel. There they sat down and cried to the Lord and went without food all day until evening. They also brought burnt offerings and a fellowship offering to the Lord. Then the Israelites asked the Lord a question. In those days, the Ark of the Agreement with God was there at Bethel. A priest named Phinehas, son of Eleazar, the son of Aaron, served before the Ark of the Agreement. They asked, Shall we go fight our relatives of Benjamites again, or shall we stop fighting? The Lord answered, Go, because tomorrow I will hand them over to you. Then the Israelites set up ambushes all around Gibeah. They went to fight against the Benjamites at Gibeah on the third day, getting into position for battle as they had done before. When the Benjamites came out to fight them, the Israelites backed up and led the Benjamites away from the city. The Benjamites began to kill some of the Israelites as they had done before. About 30 Israelites were killed, some in the fields and some on the roads leading to Bethel and Gibeah. The Benjamites said, We are winning as before. But the Israelites said, Let's run. Let's trick them into going further away from their city and onto the roads. All the Israelites moved from their places and got into battle positions at a place called Baal Tamar. Then the Israelites ran out from their hiding places west of Gibeah. 10,000 of the best trained soldiers from all of Israel attacked Gibeah. The battle was very hard. The Benjamites did not know disaster was about to come upon them. The Lord used the Israelites to defeat the Benjamites. On that day, the Israelites killed 25,100 Benjamites, all armed with swords. Then the Benjamites saw that they were defeated. The Israelites had moved back because they were depending on the surprise attack they had set up near Gibeah. The men in hiding rushed into Gibeah, spread out, and killed everyone in the city with their swords. Now the Israelites had set up a signal with the men in hiding. The men in the surprise attack were to send up a cloud of smoke from the city. Then the army of Israel turned around in the battle. <coughs> the Benjamites had killed about 30 Israelites. They were saying, we are winning, as in the first battle. But then a cloud of smoke began to rise from the city. The Benjamites turned, and, turned around and saw that the whole city was going up in smoke. Then the Israelites turned and began to fight. The Benjamites were terrified because they knew the disaster was coming to them. So the Benjamites ran away from the Israelites toward the desert, but they could not escape the battle. And the Israelites who came out of the cities killed them. They surrounded the Benjamites and chased them and caught them in the area east of Gibeah. So 18,000 brave Benjamite fighters were killed. The Benjamites ran toward the desert into the, to the Rock of Rimmon, but the Israelites killed 5,000 Benjamites along the roads. They chased them as far as Gidom and killed 2,000 more Benjamites there. On that day, 25,000 Benjamites were killed, all of whom had fought bravely with swords, but 600 Benjamites ran to the Rock of Rimmon in the desert where they stayed for four months. Then the Israelites went back to the land of Benjamin and killed the people in every city and also the animals and everything they could find and they burned every city they found. So I'm going to ask you a really weird question that might seem weird after what we just read. What did the Israelites do right here? 
Yes. They asked. They asked for guidance. They what they sacrificed. It sounds like they fasted. Well, they went, went to the proper place for worship. Yes. Too. They asked yes. where the Ark of the Agreement was. They finally well, was with them, wasn't it? No. So it's a good question. So at this period, it's it's kind of confusing, but the Ark and the Tabernacle, which is Moses' tent of meeting, the place of meeting, um, they, they were not moving around with the people anymore. They tended to stay in the same spot, but they didn't stay in the same spot for the entire 400 years of the judges. During, during this period, during most of the time, the ark and the tent of meeting were in Shiloh, which is up north here. But during this period in Judges, it seems as though the ark, at least, is in Bethel. So there is this one spot. Now I'm gonna I'm gonna take my side note here because I was gonna talk about Bethel. There is no other town mentioned in Israel more in the Old Testament than Bethel. The only other place that's mentioned more is Jerusalem or Jabus. Bethel is one of the most important centers of worship in the Old Testament. During this period, it seems, the ark was, was residing there. And that was the proper place of worship. That is where you would expect the high priest to be located. And so to, to Laura's point, that would be where you would expect it to go to consult God, right? Um, where he would reside, his presence. Um, so Bethel is a very holy place. But you're absolutely right. that the, the right thing that they did was they asked God, how, how many chapters did it take before the Israelites finally went to God to ask him what to do? 20. A, a lot. When's the last time we saw them going to God and him responding? It's been a while, right? So they're usually crying out because they're in trouble. Yeah. This time they're actually seeking him for... I mean, they are kind of in trouble, but I don't know that they really think they are. <laughs> I think this is an important point. It's, it's bigger than crying out. Um, no doubt, when you cry out to God and say, God... I am suffering. He hears you. I believe that. I know that. That's biblical. They're going a step further than crying out, though. They're communicating with him. They're asking him what to do. And what does God do? When you do the proper, when you're humble, and you go before God, and you ask him, what should we do? What does he usually do? Answer. He answers. No, Folks. He, for two days, you let them get slaughtered. Okay. I mean, was that to teach them that, you know, just because if I give, you, give it to you right away, uh -huh. you're really not that much of a gratitude. Mm -hmm. Every time you come to me, I'm going to give you something that's mm -hmm. expected. They, I think they offered the next mm -hmm. day, and they, they went through mm -hmm. a little more of, of pleading mm -hmm. and, and providing you know, sacrifices and all that stuff to them. And, yep. And, and I think it makes the point. It's an excellent question. Just because God answers you doesn't mean that everything's going to be hunky-dory for you. It means God's will will be provided here. Here, I take from this that God is not happy with Gibeah. Do you take that? <coughs> because why? He's done a wicked thing against fellow Israelites. Yes. And what is God's response? What is, he, what is he saying is going to happen? He says, yeah, attack them. Yes, attack them. Mm. I am not happy with Gibeah. Well, they, they have, went to yep. they, they actually, some of the people went to them and said, "Hey, bring out the people who did yes. this, and we can kill them. Yes, and then this could be over." But they right. had hard hearts and right. were like, "Nope, we're going to raise an army. Yep. <laughs> and, and, yeah, we're going to fight." 
And when consulted, yes, they, they got bloody noses, no doubt. There, there was, it was not easy. In the end, God says, I go for tomorrow, for I will give them into your hands. What did the Israelites do wrong? Well, they didn't, like the second time, they just had the same strategy as the first day. Uh -huh. Well, the first day didn't work out so mm -hmm. well, so why do you have the exact same strategy okay. as the first okay, day? So militarily, you know, not so great. You know. On the first day, the Lord said that Judah will go out first, but I don't see any indication that ah. Judah went out first. Okay. So maybe they're not exactly doing what God told them. Here's, here's another question. Think of it this way. What they did wrong, after they were delivered into their hands, after Gibeah was delivered into their hands, how much more did they talk to God about what to do next? Zilcho. They went and killed everybody in the animals. Here's the problem, folks. <laughs> they did the right thing for a while, and then they stopped doing the right thing. Why do you think they stopped doing the right thing? They, they, it's human nature. They did what they wanted. What do you think that God was going to tell them? Don't slaughter everybody. Don't commit genocide against my people. They knew that. They knew that God would not be happy with that. So guess what? If I don't ask him and he doesn't tell me not to do it, then I can just do it. And what ends up happening to the tribe of Benjamin? Basically obliterated. It's obliterated. 600 men left. 600 fighting men are left out of tens of thousands, maybe hundreds of thousands of, of people. Women, children, animals, cities burned to the ground. The tribe of Benjamin almost ceases to exist here. Here's the, here's the problem. Now the author of Judges is saying, look, without a king, without leadership, people will just do whatever they want and there will be chaos. And here we have the biggest civil war yet, right? Gibeah is raised, burned to the ground. But it's kind of like, even in this horrible thing that has happened, Something that God did want to happen uh -huh. is he wanted them to have unity yes. <laughs> and to work together. Yeah. And this caused them to all work together. It's a mix, you right? Know, like, okay. In the end, you would say yes. You know, maybe it's this this thing that no matter what I do, God is still going to get to the end point that he wants to get to. Now, it may not be the way that, you know, is perfect. <laughs> he doesn't know the timeline either. Because, ah, okay. You know, there's, there's a whole generation after generation after generation mm -hmm. Israelites to come mm -hmm. that he wanted that unity for and mm -hmm. knows that I mean New Testament says so he gave them over to their depravity to mm. that's the way they wanted to be so that's the way okay you want to be that way but in the end he brings mm -hmm. unity back together nice. that's his goal nice Sometimes it's it's encouraging that even no matter how much I screw up God can still fulfill his goal yeah, it's, it's mercy on both cases. Gotcha. God's mercy allows you to be a fumbling idiot. Mm -hmm. Yep. And it's also his mercy then that rises you up out of that. I like that. Thank God. <laughs> Thank God. Um, let's just finish here with Judges. I want to talk about this because chapter 21 is essentially part two of this last chapter. 1 through 25. Who would like to read that for me? Now the men of Israel had sworn at Mizpah, No one of us shall give his daughter in marriage to Benjamin. And the people came to Bethel and sat there till evening before God, and they lifted up their voices and wept bitterly. And they said, O Lord, the God of Israel, why has this happened in Israel, that today there should be one tribe lacking in Israel? 
And the next day the people rose early and built there an altar and offered burnt offerings and peace offerings. And the people of Israel said, Which of the tribes of Israel did not come up in the assembly to the Lord? For they had taken a great oath concerning him who did not come up to the Lord to Mizpah, saying, He shall surely be put to death. And the people of Israel had compassion for Benjamin their brother and said, One tribe is cut off from Israel this day. What shall we do for wives for those that are left, since we have sworn by the Lord that we will not give them any of our daughters for wives? And they said, What one is, is there of the tribes of Israel that did not come up to the Lord at Mizpah? And behold, no one had come up to the camp from Jabesh Gilead to the assembly. For when the people were mustered, behold, not one of the inhabitants of Jabesh Gilead was there. So the congregation sent twelve thousand of their bravest men there and commanded them, Go and strike the inhabitants of Jabesh Gilead with the edge of the sword, also the women and the little ones. This is what you shall do. Every male and every woman that is lain with a male you shall devote to destruction. And they found among the inhabitants of Jabesh Gilead four hundred young virgins that had not known a man by lying with him, and they brought them to the camp at Shiloh, which is in the land of Canaan. Then the whole congregation sent word to the people of Benjamin, who were at the rock of Rimon, and proclaimed peace to them. And Benjamin returned at that time, and they gave them the women whom they had saved alive of the women of Jabesh-Gilead, but they were not enough for them. And the people had compassion on Benjamin, because the Lord had made a breach in the tribes of Israel. Then the elders of the congregation said, What shall we do for wives for those who are left, since the women are destroyed out of Benjamin? And they said, There must be an inheritance for the survivors of Benjamin, that a tribe may not be blotted out from Israel. Yet we cannot give them wives from our own daughters, for the people of Israel had sworn, Cursed be he who gives a wife to Benjamin. So they said, Behold, there is the yearly feast of the Lord at Shiloh, which is north of Bethel, on the east of the highway that goes up from Bethel to Shechem, and south of Lebona. And they commanded the people of Benjamin, saying, Go and lie in ambush in the vineyards, and watch. If the daughters of Shiloh come out to dance in the dances, then come out of the vineyards and snatch each man his wife from the daughters of Shiloh and go to the land of Benjamin. And when their daughters or their or when their fathers or their brothers come out to complain to us, we will say to them, Grant them graciously to us, because we did not take for each man of them his wife in battle, neither did you give them to them, else you would now be guilty. And the people of Benjamin did so, and took their wives according to their number from the dancers whom they carried off. Then they went and then returned to their inheritance and rebuilt the towns and lived in them. And the people of Israel departed from there at that time, every man to his tribe and family, and they went out from there, every man to his inheritance. In those days there was no king in Israel. Everyone did what was right in his own eyes. The end. <laughs> the sad... Sad ending, right? What do you, what do you, what do you take from this? There's no blaming the fact there's no Benjamites on God. Isn't like, that something? The Lord did this. Okay. God, how could you let this happen? Yeah. And so they connived their way to, let's, you know, hey, we stole your women instead of killing you for them, so you should be thankful to mm -hmm. us for that. Mm -hmm. And not even, I'm going to give you my own, our own daughters. We're going to go just let you snatch these other poor women. And they're like, it's hey, no, no one in Jamish Gilead showed up. Let's mm -hmm. go just kill all of them. Genocide there, too. Genocide is getting out of hand now. It's a, it's a For every slight.
Say it again. It's a fun loophole, isn't it? Uh, I can't give you my daughter right. because I swore that, mm-hmm. that I wouldn't give my daughter. You know, those guys at Shiloh swore they wouldn't give you their daughters. Mm-hmm. But if you steal them, mm-hmm. they can't give them to you. <laughs> isn't that something? I mean, That's exactly it. Just think of the process. Of it. It's absurd. Mm-hmm. Go kill all these people except for... I mean, how do you sort out the mm-hmm. 400 virgins out of this... 16,000 people, 12,000 people, or whatever it was. Whatever process that is, it's a horrible one. I can tell you that. Right. And then those girls, they're getting taken from there, and then they're being given to these guys. Never to be seen again, yeah. That are of questionable character, so. Yeah. I think it's, you know, it's, it, it, I think as we have now read the book of Judges, and we, we come to its conclusion, it's clear it's not just the author saying, Israel, you need, you need a king. It's God saying, you need a king. And guess who that king is? It's him. God's saying, without me, without the peace of my religious institutions, without my directives, without you seeking me and my guidance, you're kind of screwed. And, and you get into the place where, and I've talked about this, we get ourselves into these horrible messes, and then we go, God, why did you let this happen to me? What, what do you think God's thinking? Like, you did it to yourself. It's just kind of coming together mm-hmm. right now as we go through this last chapter. But it's like the Old Testament is a picture of my life. You know? yeah. It kind of tells okay. the beginning ah. and kind of how I grew up and how things went bad. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. so this happened and that happened. But I continue to try to, I can, I'll get it, I'll get it. Yeah. You know, I want Hey, we want judges. Oh, that yep. didn't work. Oh, let's do kings now. Yep. Oh, that's not going to work. Mm-hmm. All of a sudden, now there's this second. I mean, after all the kings, then we get into prophecy and yep. start to hear about the one that is coming. Mm-hmm. And at some point, we all have to make that decision mm-hmm. that our attempt at righteousness fails. Nice. Yep. The good news is, Judges has a happy ending. Now it's not Ruth, (laughs) the next book, and it's not 1 Samuel. The good news is that eventually a Messiah will come to this planet to save us, our true king, representative of, you know, God of the universe. And that's going to happen a little bit later. But for you guys, the good news is, that's going to be next week. Next week, we are going to start the Gospel of John, which, in my opinion, is one of the most powerful things ever written about God and Jesus himself. And that is the good news. The good news is there's a way out from all of this. And like you said, it's not kings, it's not laws, it's not judges, it's Christ himself, the Messiah. Working more hours. Yes. It's not standing on a political platform. It's not finding the best whatever... It's not drinking, it's not drugs, it's not... Yep. There's a whole host of other options that we all like to try. Excellent. All right. Thank you very much. We'll see you next week.